0: This is the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin, episode 19. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What's up? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant Baldwin, and you have arrived at episode 19. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great day so far, great week. And uh, wherever you're at in the world, we've got people listening literally from all over the planet, maybe even planets beyond. I don't know if you, you have a, a podcast wherever you are, but... Uh I guess I guess if you're listening to this, you'd, all right, enough of this. Uh, anyway, we've got a great episode today, great show, super excited to share it with you. First of all, I just I wanted to say thanks again just for listening, for tuning in. I know you're busy. I know you got a lot of options. There's literally thousands of podcasts available for you to choose from. And uh, for whatever reason, I, I hope that this, this show is helping you to ponder some things, to figure some things out, to sort some things out in your own world. And I hope it's been beneficial to you. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. For tuning in to this podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Hey, one thing that we're doing right now is uh, we've got literally thousands and thousands of people, again, from all over the world that are listening to this, and uh, we'd love to get some feedback from you. So, right now, we're doing a survey with our, our podcast listeners. So, if you wouldn't mind going to slash survey, slash survey. So, if you're driving down the road, if you're in the office, uh, whatever you're doing right now, pause real quick, write that down, plug that into your phone, put it into your computer, slash survey. And uh, what we 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 just want to get some feedback. I promise you it's a short, simple survey. It'll take you no more than five minutes. And we'd love just to hear from you of, of what you're looking for. Make sure that we're hitting on the things that you want us to hit on, the things that you uh, you want to hear about, the things that you want to learn about. We want to make sure that we're covering that for you. So uh, we're doing this for the next uh, couple of weeks. We're wrapping up actually this week. In fact, uh, we're going to wrap up Sunday, July 20th, 2014 is when this survey completes. And uh, we are giving away a $50 gift card to iTunes to one lucky survey person participant. So make sure that you again, check that out. com slash survey. All right, today we've got a, a great episode with you. We've got a uh, interview with Jolie Gillabo, and Jolie is a artist that, that uh, maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't, but she is an, an incredibly talented artist. And this is someone that I wanted to have on the show because I've heard from from several different artists who go and I, I have this specific thing that I do with, with drawing or painting or art or, or whatever that thing may be. I'm just trying to figure out how do I actually get it out into the world. And so whenever I came across Jolie, I wanted to make sure that her story was shared with you, the listener. I think this will be really, really beneficial and applicable to your world. A couple things that I'm interested to, uh, for you to catch in this episode is one, how Jolie, she really just continued to chase a dream or passion, even when everyone was second guessing her. And I think there's a lot of people, maybe you would find yourself in the same spot where you have this dream, you have this desire, you have this goal, this thing that you want to do with your career, this thing that you want to do with your life. And everybody around you, even though they're they're well meaning and they're well intentioned, they're looking out for the best of you, they're just going, Are you sure? Have you thought about this? Or what about the what if you did this thing over here instead? Maybe that would be a, a better fit for you. And so I want you to hear in Jolie's story of how she processed that, how she dealt with that, how she continued to chase that dream regardless of what everyone else was saying. Also, there's a really cool point in her story where there's this one moment where she got up the courage to talk to someone she admired and how it literally, it changed everything for her. And I've heard this theme in a lot of people's stories, a lot of interviews that we've done so far of people who said, you know, I, I took one small step and, and to looking back, it may have been a small step, but in the moment to me, it was something massive. It was something significant. It was something huge. And how that one small thing really changed everything and how it took so much courage to be able to take that step. And so I want you to, uh, to, to pay close attention to that. Also, uh, she talks a lot about how just being consistent in art and being consistent in your work, how diligent she's been to just do the work even when it's not enjoyable. Whatever that, that passion is of yours, whatever that career thing is for you, and you may on the outside looking in be like, man, I'm going to love it. That's going to be great. It's just going to be a walk in the park every single day. I hate to burst your bubble, but it's not. Most days you may really, really like it, but there may be some days where it's just its just work. It's not fun anymore. It's not the thing that you just wake up and you're like, oh, I can't wait to do this. Now, most days may be like that, but there's going to be those days you're like, I just it's just work. And so how do you stay diligent? How do you stay consistent even when the work is not enjoyable? You'll hear some of her, her own practices and how she stayed so consistent in her project. So hope you enjoy this episode. Hope you enjoy this interview. Uh, again, as always, you can find all the show notes, links, everything that we discuss and talk about. Jolie actually references a, a cool uh, TEDx presentation that she was a part of that you can, uh, we'll have links for in the show notes as well. So you can check that out at slash jolie All right. That wraps that up. So let's uh, let's get to this interview. Here you go, episode nineteen with Jolie. Enjoy. All right, today I'm hanging out with my friend Jolie Gillibow. Jolie, how are you?
1: I'm great, Grant. How are you?
0: I'm doing delightful. Thanks for taking the time to uh, share your story with us. So you are a artist in the truest sense of the word. So tell us exactly what it is that you do. I'm a painter. That's it. I, Boom. That's it.
1: I, I paint paintings and I sell them. I also teach art out of my studio.
0: So you you paint, you teach. Is this something that you've always been fascinated by or drawn towards or or how did this kind of come to be?
1: When I was seven years old, I announced my intention to be an artist and my grandfather told me to go into real estate because it would make money and then I could paint on the weekends.
0: Ah, so it was just kind of this little side thing that you were kind of pressured towards, and I think a lot of people, as kids, we dreamed of being an artist or dreamed mm-hmm. you know we liked coloring, we liked doodling, we liked drawing, we liked doing something with art, but there 's very, very few people that keep that passion and actually make it translate into life someday. So what do you think has kind of differentiated you
1: well i didn 't start as an artist when i Went to college, then I went to college as a high school teacher, and I was a high school teacher for 10 years, and I loved it. It was so much fun to teach. I taught overseas for a while, and I still stay in touch with all of my students. It was a very small school, and I totally loved the kids, but it wasn't the thing that made me the happiest. And so after we returned from being overseas, we realized that we could live anywhere in the country we wanted, and we said, well, what do we really want to do? And I said, I want to be an artist. And so I went back to school and got my, well, I went to a private school. So the, I did a graduate program.
0: Nice. Let's backtrack a little bit. Okay. So as a kid, you know, even as a seven-year-old little girl, you like art, you're already at a young age, like starting to be pressured or pushed in a different direction. Did you just kind of set the art thing on the back burner I mean, it, and it's not like as a seven year old, we all have these dreams of what I'd like to do, and few of us actually do that thing. You know, a lot of I've got a eight year old daughter, so she wants to be a princess. <laughs> so most of us, we just we kind of shelve that, thinking it's it's not realistic. So did you ever just feel like, no, no, this is what I want to do, and I just got to figure it out? But then it got I was told something different, or kind of how did that play out as a as a kid?
1: So it was tricky. I kept pushing for art lessons as a kid and we moved around a lot when I was a kid so it just never quite worked out and I kept they kept telling me you can take art in high school when you get to high school so I got to high school and I took the first year of art and I signed up for advanced art and my teacher said well we only have a few spots available and I'd rather those spots go to somebody who's not academically strong so that they can get an art scholarship you're never really going to use art in your real life so you should go for an academic scholarship
0: and this is freshman year of high school? Sophomore year. Okay. Yeah. So this happens. And what's, uh, do you just feel like crushed? Like, no, like I actually want to do this. Why are you not taking me seriously? Or what's kind of going through your mind?
1: At the time, I guess I was like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense. Like I understood that. I totally understood the logic that there weren't very many spaces. And to be honest, like it wasn't like any of my artwork was kind of setting the world on fire at that point right like it was something that i really wanted to do but i really believe that art is not a talent it's a skill like i don't believe in talent for the most part and i just didn't quite have the skills that i knew i needed bob ross Mm -hmm. he of happy little trees
0: says says
1: that that talent is nothing more than pursued passion or pursued interest
0: as a kid, are you watching, you know, the Bob Ross specials on TV and thinking, okay, that's what I want to do. And that's, I'm seeing like that as a realistic path at that point. Mm -hmm. And so, and so what happens then whenever that sophomore conversation happens and you're like, okay, I know what I want to do. I got to paint stuff, whether that's on PBS or elsewhere. And then someone kind of a teacher, an adult who, you know, a lot of times we would perceive would know better rains on our parade. So are you just feeling like, all right, well, maybe this art thing isn't realistic after all.
1: Well, I guess I just thought, yeah, I pretty much did. I thought, well, okay, maybe this is not for me. I'm good in English too. I like to read. Being an English teacher would be easy. So I did. I kind of switched. And my teacher at the time, she was like, you can take art as an elective in college. Like basically everybody just kept putting it off. You know, you can take art in high school. You can take art in college. They just it was kind of like oh i 'm not going to make this girl my problem.
0: It seemed like no one was taking you seriously
1: it 's true it 's true so you can go real estate
0: yeah go do something else if you want to do this on the way if you want to make this your hobby if you want to sell a few things that you 're at a craft store or whatever because obviously at that time you know Etsy's not around and you don 't have some options to yeah, like, right. get your art out to the world so there wasn't maybe at the time there's not like a real clear path of here 's how you could actually do this without having a special on un- pbs or something exactly
1: exactly. yeah so very vague and uncertain
0: yeah understand and i think there's a lot of careers like that where there's not necessarily like a clear path of travel of here's how you get into this it's Mm -hmm. you know it's a a lot of people trying to climb the mountain but going at it a lot of different ways and Mm -hmm. uh hopefully eventually everyone's kind of making it to the destination that they want to arrive at and whatever that career thing may be Right, right. So it sounds like you're, you're interested in the art thing. That's kind of uh, pushed to the back burner for a little bit. And so you, you mentioned, all right, I like reading, I like writing, I, I like English. So it sounds like you start to head down that path more because it's, it seems to be the path of least resistance.
1: Exactly, exactly. I got my degree in English and education within three years. I started teaching at the same high school that I graduated from in, when I was 21 years old. And yeah, it was pretty miserable.
0: So immediately you've been in this school system. You go right back into it as a teacher and you just like from day one, you just hate it. Hate it. Nothing at all is appealing to you.
1: Well, I think in general, like it's really challenging for first year teachers and no matter what. But the I loved the idea of like, I love to read. And I loved the idea of like sharing these books that I love to read. With other kids, and I say other kids, because I was still a kid at twenty one years old,
0: yeah, it's, we still are today let's keep telling keep telling keep telling ourselves that
1: it's true, <laughs> but I just like it was a lot of paperwork and a lot of politics, and the biggest p- part that was so difficult for me there is that these were so many of the teachers that were now my colleagues had been my teachers that I had looked up to in high school. And they were very disappointing as <laughs> <Yep>. colleagues.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like that that peek inside the sausage factory. Yes. And you're like, I really like eating a hot dog or this. I just don't want to know how it's made. And exactly. uh, you peek behind the curtain and you're like, ah. Oh this kind of taints my whole experience. And, uh-huh.
1: and to use that analogy, I'm actually a vegetarian.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So, <laughs> so the peek inside the sausage factory really ruined it for me.
0: In, in more ways than one. Exactly. So let's <laughs> let's scoot back a little bit. So when you're in, yeah. even in college, so you're the path at that point is you're planning on being a teacher. Are you taking any art classes on the side or, or where does okay, that fit so, in?
1: So I got to college, I got to college and I like, you're required to take the one art elective and they have like, art history for non-art majors but they also have drawing 101 and painting 101 and I signed up for drawing 101 and I got to the class and the instructor looked at me and said you're not an art major you're not on my list I said oh no I'm an education major I'm, I'm majoring in English and he's like well why are you in my class and I said well we have to take one art elective and he said then you're supposed to be in art history for not art majors. And I was like, but can't I take Drawing 101? <laughs> and he said, well, you can, but I'm not going to grade you on it. You, you know, I'm not going to critique your work or spend very much time with you because my funding is based on how many of these people I translate into art majors.
0: It's like there's a series of people just – Doing their best to rain on your parade.
1: Exactly, over and over, and I was just like, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't
0: know what. To do what here. have I done to tick all you people off?
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Is that the only art class that you took?
1: That's the only art class I took in and,
0: college. And so, is that just a miserable experience because of him, or
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're just drudging your way through it?
1: Yeah, it was. We spent most of the semester drawing brown paper bags.
0: <laughs> that's awesome
1: uh-huh it was like and he would just walk past and go huh wow you know so so, so that was disappointing but I after like after that first miserable year teaching then I signed up for like this little old lady's art class during the summer
0: and so at the time this is still just kind of a, a hobby this is just a little it's a little pastime for you Exactly. So are you looking to anyone? I mean, you've got like a a Bob Ross, but a lot of times we look at like a a Bob Ross or we look at someone who is a successful name in whatever space and we're like, well, they're they're successful, but also they're a big name and I could never become that. Was there anybody that you were looking at that you thought like, this is a realistic trajectory that I can get on to get into this space or to become this thing? Or did you have any options or examples of what you were looking at?
1: So in... Hazel Green, Alabama. There aren't that many professional artists. I was
0: going to say, it sounds like a growing metropolis.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was It was a really uh, progressive sort of place. <laughs>
0: but, sounds uh, like it.
1: Um, there aren't actually that many artists, but there was this little old lady art class that I, I went to. They were all retired. I was the youngest in that class by at least 40 years.
0: <laughs> so you're the, the granddaughter of the group.
1: Exactly. And they just think I'm the sweetest, smartest. It was really the first time I got encouragement of any kind.
0: That's cool. That's they, crazy. You've gone through like so many times of people like shooting down the dream before you get to a group of people that are like, "No, you could actually do this. Like you're good. And let me pat you on the back and encourage you."
1: Exactly. And they like they were like, "Why are you teaching? You should be drawing and, you know."
0: So and, when they're saying this, are you going Yes. Why am I teaching?
1: It couldn't even really register that that was true at that point because so many people had shot it down for so long that, like, now I look back and think, yeah, like I was, like, they were validating something in me that I was really, like, needing, but I wasn't even fully aware of it at that point. Yeah. So.
0: It's crazy the uh, like the power of people's words that like we wouldn't even think of, like just kind of like an offhand comment that at the time you're like, yeah, it's not a big deal. But then later you're like, I still think about what that person said. And I did go down this path or I didn't go down that path because of that little thing.
1: Exactly. It's so true. It's so true.
0: Before those ladies, was there anybody like family, friends, anyone who like saw this talent, this ability, this gift that you had and took you seriously that like you could actually do this?
1: I have my mother's sister still has the very first thing I ever did in that beginning high school art class. She kept it. She loved it. And she was like, oh, this is really pretty. She saw it as I was working on it, and I gave it to her for her birthday. She still has it framed in her dining room.
0: That's beautiful. That's so cool. Yeah.
1: So, My Aunt Judy totally believed in me.
0: Shout out to Aunt Judy, who's probably listening to this, of course. So, all right. So, uh, you've got Aunt Judy who's respecting it and validating it. Everyone else is kind of questioning it. Is it in your own, like, just soul, just getting buried deeper and deeper and deeper in there that there's no way this is ever going to be a thing?
1: It was buried pretty deep, but it was kind of like lava. It was growing. I was so miserable as a teacher, well, as a public school teacher in Alabama, I was so miserable and we knew that we were going to work overseas. So, and these little old ladies kept encouraging me. So the year before, as we got ready to move to work overseas, then I just took like a job in the mall and fully invested in those art classes. And what happened, the little old ladies introduced me to this man named Jack Dempsey, who was the retired art professor there at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, he was not entirely convinced that I, he he didn't have a lot of respect for this little old lady's art class. Yeah. You know, they were all, they were all like, oh, you should meet this girl. She's doing such amazing things. But I think that was probably not the first time he had heard that from this group. Right, right. So he was sitting at a restaurant one night and I looked over and we we were at a different table And he was sitting by himself. And it's it's a small town. So, you know, I knew exactly who he was. And I had just come from art class and my work was in the car. And I, like, worked up all my courage and walked over and said, Mr. Dempsey, you know, my art teacher has told me about you. And he said, oh, yeah, she mentioned you to me. Wow. I said, and he didn't seem very happy to be interrupted. And I said... I said, I have my work in the car. I just came back from class. Could I show it to you? And he said, well, you have to show it to me if I'm going to let you in my class. So you might as well do it now. And so I went out to my car and I brought in, I was working on these, like on black paper with white pencil. And it was these, uh, the series of jazz musicians. And there were these drawings. And he took his glasses off. And he got very, very close to the paper and he like pulled it out and he kind of had this like dramatic moment. And then he looked over the paper at me and said, you and I are going to get along just fine. Wow. Why don't you bring, here's the supply list. And why don't you be in my studio at 7 a.m. on Tuesday morning? Wow. And that was a big turning point for me. It was the first time anybody ever believed in my work and saw it immediately
0: isn't it crazy like how vividly you just described that moment like it's like as if it happened yesterday and Mm -hmm. so many people i've talked to they they have like that moment you know even now like i'm talking i'm getting goosebumps just talking about we're just like we have those moments where like just getting the courage to talk to that person that changed everything for your career and where you're going and your confidence and feeling like oh my gosh, this person that I look up to and admire believes in me and they just validated me. And I just like, if you hadn't had that conversation, how would your whole trajectory have changed?
1: Exactly. That's crazy.
0: Crazy, crazy. All right. So you, you go talk to him. You're probably just petrified out of your mind that this could go really well or could not goes awesome. And then you connect with him and you're part of his class. And it's, I assume at that point, your confidence is just like sky high and just continuing to grow.
1: Totally. And he, I mean, even now, like, That was, that was like 15 years ago, 16 years ago, no, 14 years ago. There are like some fundamentals of the way that I paint and the way that my work, you know, is in the world. And that so much of that is because of, of him and the way that he kind of got me started. So, but then we already at that point had planned to, to go work overseas and he was furious at me. He was like, I can make you an artist. Where are you going? So we committed for a two year stint working overseas, and that ultimately turned into four years. But he was really, I was, I only studied with him for eight months. But during that eight months, like he really instilled that confidence in me to say, Yeah, you know, you can do this. You can do this.
0: So you, at this point, you're done teaching. You've got this little job in the mall, and I assume the job at the mall is just so that you don't have to have the job at the school. Exactly. You just you're just buying time, just trying to exactly. figure it out.
1: We were already planning to be overseas before the end of that school year, so it didn't make sense to commit to a full year of teaching.
0: So you you go overseas, you do two years, grows to four. What are you, what are you doing overseas? I'm teaching. Going back to teaching, is it just kind of like the environment you were in in the public school? You're like, I I like teaching. I just don't like this setting.
1: Exactly. I loved, so teaching overseas, I was teaching, I taught, I was the vice principal of the school. There were 50 kids in the school from 15 different countries. About 20 of them were high school students. So, and well, upper school students. So seventh through 12th graders. I taught English history, art, and one disastrous year of middle school math.
0: <laughs> I've worked with a lot of middle school students. They are a unique breed.
1: I love the students, but I did not love the math. There you um, go. Basically, there was a lot of what I called group work where I'd be like, okay, Tessa, you teach Shane how to work this problem because I think you'll do a better job of teaching him. You know,
0: <laughs> That's awesome. This is
1: the best way for you to learn how to do it.
0: What's happening with your art in your own mind while you're over there? Are you still kind of painting and doing some stuff on the side? still kind of dabbling so, with it?
1: I took my like I took my colored pencils. The resources and the availability for the way that we were actually living on a ship, a hospital ship that was overseas. So the captain of the ship wasn't very keen on me having the the crazy oil paints or anything like that in his the highly flammable.
0: <laughs> right. Paint
1: on his on his small ship. Right. He wasn't too keen on that. But I worked I worked with oils, I mean with acrylics and with watercolor. I did basically that last year on the ship. It was a time of big transition and we knew that we were coming back to the states and I accepted the role of vice principal for the school. So every day in my office, anytime I had a few minutes and I just made myself like this big calendar out of like drawing paper. And I just filled in the calendar with a drawing every day. Hmm. And now I realize like that was a kind of the beginning of my daily painting practice.
0: So you're you're doing this painting over there. You're there for two years, two becomes four, as you're getting near the end of, of the fourth there. Is the plan to come back? Are you planning on, okay, I gotta get back and I gotta I gotta figure out how to turn this into a career? Are you seeing kind of a clear path of how this translates into making a living or what's where's kinda of your head at at that point?
1: I still have no idea how I'm gonna make a living, but I definitely realized I had a couple of people ask me, "Well, you can go back and you can do anything. You don't have to go back to Hazel Green, Alabama anymore. You can go anywhere and do anything. What are you going to do?" And it kind of came out of my mouth so quickly that I didn't even quite realize it. Like, I said, "Oh, I'm, I I want to be an artist." And it even kind of stunned me as I heard myself say it. And so, and the person I was talking to was like, "Well, Let's figure out a way for you to go be an artist. So that's what we did. So
0: it's like that Freudian slip. If it comes out, it's like, oh, where did exactly. that come? Where did that come from? In a good way, exactly. Like where did that come from? And it's like just deep within me is there's there's this drive and this desire to to be this thing. So you come back. What happens next? Do you go go back to Alabama? Do you head elsewhere?
1: So it worked out absolutely amazingly. My husband and I both applied to one school. We both found uh, programs in Seattle, Washington, that we really loved and we were very excited about. We each applied, we put, we put all of our eggs in one basket. We, he had to get in and I had to get in and then we would move to Seattle and we both got in. Wow, so, so
0: you head to Seattle. Are you, so you're going to art school at that point?
1: I'm going to art school.
0: All okay. right, so what's, uh, how long are you in art school?
1: I was in art school for two years.
0: Okay. So you you wrap up. Are you starting to see like, okay, I'm beginning to get more confidence and I'm surrounding myself with people who are doing this and like-minded people and I'm beginning to see this is the path that I could potentially take. So I assume, again, your confidence is just continuing to grow. That lava inside is continuing to to build, right?
1: One would think.
0: (laughs) Uh Oh, okay. All right. Tell me more.
1: Um, Actually, so that first year, especially in Seattle, I was in art school. 30 hours a week I was required to spend 30 hours a week in the painting studio plus the lectures and the other like color theory and things like that I also at the same time found a job at a very small private school where I taught exactly one class so I taught five hours a week at this small private school, teaching English. Okay. And I remember having like kind of another turning point where somebody was like, oh, well, what do you do? As I first met them, and I was like, oh, I'm a teacher. And I realized, oh, wait, I'm spending 30 hours a week on art and five hours a week as a teacher. That's probably not true anymore. And it was like a sudden shift for me, but I couldn't quite call myself an artist. I just labeled myself an art student, which then people would raise their eyebrows at that because I was 30. They weren't quite expecting art student.
0: Yeah. It seems like you had a really difficult time just like accepting like this is who I am or this is what I want to do and we're just kind of worried what people might think.
1: Yes, because it had been this thing like so many people in my life had, had resisted it. Even as I like when we came back and moved back to Seattle after being overseas, Some of my family was like, what does that have to do with anything? Why are you doing that? Like there was even some very strong resistance.
0: Even from family?
1: Even from family.
0: So you've got so many, like, it seems like just the odds are stacked against you that nobody thinks you should do this. You're questioning it yourself. Why didn't you just throw in the towel?
1: Because it's what I was supposed to be doing.
0: Yeah. So even then, you just like internally, there's still just this, I just, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I can't explain it, but... I know that I know that I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. Yep. It's tough to get anybody else to like get that or see that or understand that. Because it's like, you just can't articulate it. I can't really explain it, but I know like deep in the core and the fiber of who I am, like this is what I'm supposed to do. Yes. So to his credit,
1: my husband was never a person that resisted this in any way. He was always behind me. Why are you teaching if you're miserable? What can we do to make this, you know, so he has always been very supportive. And I think that is a big key to my being able to kind of overcome all that other resistance.
0: Cool. So you're doing the art thing, but also still kind of teaching on the side. At which point did you start creating art on your own where you started selling it and it started kind of becoming its own thing?
1: Yeah. So my last year in art school, it was a studio program where they, we were required to work completely independently. And then we had kind of like a senior show at the end of that. And I sold two of the pieces from that show. And that w- those were my first big sales. And what was interesting is even then, some of the professors at the school were kind of startled that I sold the work. It was, then I was coming across a new resistance. Because people were saying, well, why would you sell your work? <laughs> <laughs> and and I remember having this conversation and saying, well, that's what artists do. That's part of the definition of being an artist. There were a couple of people that were in that shared studio space with me that were kind of working in the same vein. But they weren't as motivated to make a career out of it. They kind of didn't... that they implied that i was selling out right. by by selling my work and i never had a problem with that because the way that you buy art supplies is you have to have money
0: <laughs> i want to eat and live indoors exactly <laughs> therefore there has to be a transaction of monetary value
1: exactly what's
0: exactly. that feeling that art show and you sell two pieces and i think it's the type of thing which, like whether it's they're buying it for 5 bucks or 500 bucks what's that feeling when someone says hey I like it so much. I want to give you money for it.
1: That is magic. Mm -hmm. It's like rainbows and sparkles and dancing. It's just the best.
0: Now that is a mental picture you could paint right there. (laughs) So someone hands you this. And again, it's kind of like that. Yeah, here's what it is. It's kind of like that two steps back and one step forward. And you're just inching your way there. But then eventually over time, like the confidence continues to grow where it's maybe two steps forward and one step back. And for every person that's like shooting you down and saying, no, 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 you can't sell out. You can't become this commercial. You just have to do this. And it's just your own little expression. But inside you're going, no, because I'm holding money that people just paid me for. This this thing I made, and I'm I'm beginning to build momentum and steam here. Absolutely. So let's fast forward today. How do you like as a as an artist? I think that's a lot of a question that a lot of people have. Of uh, you know maybe I like painting or drawing or whatever that niche within the art space is. But today, how do you make a living doing that?
1: So that was one of the things that kind of I kind of had to walk through this little bit of a labyrinth after I graduated from art school and kind of sort that out for myself in a different way. So I had the traditional route is a gallery. Mm -hmm. And I never really felt very good about that. Partly because I feel like I want to know the people that own my paintings. Yeah. For me, a big part of it is that I realized that My favorite people, the people that it makes me happiest when those people buy my paintings, are the people who've never purchased art before. Right. Who would normally get something at like Pier 1 or…
0: Hobby Lobby, yep. Yeah.
1: yeah. Just mass produce. Exactly. And they see something that I've made and they love it. And it's a little bit of a stretch for them, but they take the plunge.
0: So rather than like just mass producing something or even doing the gallery route and just selling to strangers, it sounds like you really have made an effort to build relationships with people so that really when people are buying something, they're not just buying the art, they're buying, they're buying a piece of you.
1: Exactly. Because so much of my story is tied up in the painting. And I describe myself as a painter and a storyteller and that's because so much of the story is wrapped up in that and and I'm sharing that story with them and they're you know that little bit of that story is going to hang on their wall and so that connection is really valuable to me.
0: So how are you building those connections with people? Are they finding out about you? I assume it wouldn't necessarily be through Google if it's going to be something very, very custom. Or is it you know, word of mouth? Or is it just local? Or, or how do people kind of begin to engage and begin to develop that relationship with you?
1: A lot of it is word of mouth. Um, I do a couple of local shows every year. There are um, a couple of kind of community shows that happen here. And a lot of people come through. But the big thing for me is the email newsletter. When I, I've been doing these daily paintings now for about four years. And the email newsletter is really the way that I connect with and, people. And
0: tell us more about that. So you do a, a daily painting. What is that? What do you mean by that? And how does that tie into the, the newsletter you do?
1: Okay. So actually, I just spent a whole long time talking about this because this was the subject, of a big part of my TED Talk that I just wrapped up.
0: That's a little but teaser. That'll come soon, folks. Hang with big. us.
1: So, my struggle was that I had this like idea that artists needed everything that artists made needed to be like big and grandiose and glorious and and I only liked painting like small and and tiny things. Like that was what made me happiest. So, I just didn't paint anything For almost an entire year after I graduated art school, I was really miserable. Hmm. So I just resolved that I would paint something, no matter how small, every single day. And I set it up with public accountability. So in January of 2010, I painted my first daily painting. I committed to 100 paintings in 100 days. And I painted the painting and I told a small story about it and I sent it out as an email newsletter. And the next day, I painted a painting and I told a small story about it and I sent it out as an email newsletter. And basically, I've been doing that every Monday through Friday since January of 2010. I did just, I just wrapped up, I took a little break because for the TEDx talk, I also created an installation for that day where I painted a thousand small paintings as the backdrop for that day. So, because I was working on those thousand paintings, That were specifically for TEDx. Then I stopped doing the daily newsletter. Yeah, but I'll return to it.
0: I got to ask you this: so you you're doing you know a painting a day, a hundred and a hundred days for this TEDx talk you just did. You did a thousand individual paintings. You're doing something that you love, but doing that thing hundreds or even thousands of times, are there days where it just feels like work?
1: Of course. Yeah, there are lots of days when. You know, there's something else that I'd rather be doing. Right. You know, especially, like, there are a few times that there's been, like, some sort of stressful thing happening in my world that I can't really talk about. I had a breast cancer scare a couple of years ago, and there was a, like, there was a long time of limbo there. But I was just plodding through with a daily painting, and I couldn't talk about what was happening for the most part, mm-hmm. so that was kind of a difficult work phase for me. Yeah. It felt like a slog, and I paint what I do is i'll choose a topic and i'll so i 'll do a hundred portraits or a hundred landscapes or a hundred still lifes so I've kind of like alternated through through things in batches of one hundred and usually around day sixty
0: five
1: <laughs> i'm like okay, can we be done now? <laughs>
0: I've, I cannot paint any more pretty little trees.
1: Exactly.
0: I've got to do something then, different.
1: And then, so usually there's kind of a slog that kind of happens between 60 and 75. But once I hit 75, then it's like, whoa, I've painted 75 of these. Yeah. And then, it, it you know, the excitement builds again.
0: That's so cool. All right, so you just did this, this, uh, this TEDx talk recently. Tell us about that.
1: Yes. So the local TEDx that happens here in Portland, the community there, they established an artist in residence program four years ago when they began. And so they've chosen somebody to be the artist in residence for each year. And that person creates kind of the, an art installation that becomes the stage backdrop. So they nominated me last year and we got started with this project last August. And I sent them my initial sketches and they were approved. And basically, because I knew I was gonna reach my 1,000th daily painting in January, then I thought of this as kind of a way to celebrate that. So I did 1,000 small pieces, five by five inch plexiglass squares, and we hung them on strands and they kind of look like a beaded curtain. Wow, It's really pretty. Well, if I do say so myself, it's
0: really pretty. <laughs> oh, that's not, I mean especially a thousand of them uh, yeah. that have been like handmade, handcrafted, and each one I'm sure in your own like as you've described, each one has kind of its own story to itself exactly and piecing those together to be a part of uh, again, I think it's a good illustration to just your story was like each little piece contributes to something that's just bigger than itself.
1: Exactly. And so it was really we actually last Thursday was the first time it was hung. So I've been painting these pieces for months and we kind of had the plan, but we didn't install it until last Thursday.
0: What was your thought when you saw it?
1: The tech team kept getting annoyed with me because um, so we hung the strands and then we would have to like kind of straighten the squares, you know, to get everything lined up. And then they'd raise the truss that the installation was hung on just a little bit more and we'd straighten the squares again. And then they'd raise it a little bit more until it was all the way up. But every time that they raised the, the truss and the pieces kept going up, then I would play the hallelujah chorus. (sighs)
0: So
1: they were like, Oh, yay.
0: She's going to do it again. Here we go. But it's got to be just that just amazing feeling of just, you know, months and months and months of this culmination of of all this massive work and energy and effort and it's like ah this is what I've been working toward. This, you know, this is it. And so being able to to share that. So now listen, if you're whoever's listening to this right now, if you're driving down the road or you're in the gym or you're in the office or whatever you're doing, you're listening to this, we can describe it all day long. You got to just go online and watch the video. All right. So we will link it up in the show notes. There, amazing. TEDx talk. I know you're going to dig it. So just make sure that you you check that out. Jolie, if people want to just pick your brain or or just want to learn more about your art or your story itself, where can we find out more about you?
1: JolieGillibo.com.
0: Can you spell that out for us?
1: Of course, because Gillibo, you know, it's such a it is. Such an easy name. It is. <laughs> yeah, so Jolie, J-O-L-I-E, and Gillibo, G-U-I-L-L-E-B as in boy, E-A-U.com.
0: Dot com Check it out, people. For reals, if you are an artist or even if you love art and uh, you're looking for a story that goes along with the art that you have, make sure that you check it out. Also, Jolie's got this, like, this cool newsletter she talked about. So make sure you sign up for that. A new piece of art every single day. So make sure that you're, you're a part of that. So Jolie, again, thank you so much for uh, taking the time, for sharing your story, your journey, some of the lessons that you've learned along the way, the resilience that you have built up to ignore the resistance and the critics and to pursue something that you were put on this planet to do. So thanks for sharing your story and your art with us.
1: Thanks, Grant.
0: It was a pleasure. Awesome. We'll talk to you soon. All right, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that uh, that interview with Jolie Gillibo. and I hope that uh, maybe you're just inspired and encouraged by her story. Maybe you're an artist and you've got your craft, you've got your thing that you do, and you're just trying to figure out how do I, how do I get this art out into the world. I hope uh, hope her story and her journey was encouraging to you, and and maybe you're not an artist. Maybe you're just like I, I've got my thing over here that I do. Listen, we're all. In one way or another, we're all doing some form of art and we're trying to just figure out how we, we share our work with the world. Whatever that thing is for you, maybe it's blogging, maybe it's writing, maybe it is art, maybe it is photography, maybe it's film, maybe it's, it's podcasting. Whatever it is for you, how do you share that thing with the world? And so I hope that uh, her story was encouraging to you. As we uh, mentioned before, you can find all show notes, links, everything that we discussed. You can check out that TEDx talk that we talked about, uh, grantbalden.com slash Jolie Gillibo. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're doing the survey right now that we would love, 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 love for you to participate in. You can go to grantbalden.com slash survey, grantbalden.com slash survey, and, uh, and check that out. And we would love if you just take, literally take five minutes to fill that out. Uh, wherever you're at in the world, we'd love to get some feedback from you. Make sure that we are hitting on the, the subjects and topics that you want to hear about. Again, we're doing a, a giveaway, a $50 gift card to iTunes. And so you can, uh, you can be a part of that just by participating in the survey. We'll do a random drawing. The deadline for that is Sunday, July 20th, 2014. So make sure that you get to that ASAP. All right. Hey, also, we've had so many great reviews on iTunes and just some really, really kind feedback from people. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate that. I love, 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 love hearing from people literally just all over the world of how the, the interviews and the episodes have been beneficial to them, how they're helping them, how they're helping them just figure out what it is that they were put on this planet to do. And so we, we really appreciate that. If, if you'd like to, to leave us a rating and review on iTunes, we'd really, really, really super appreciate that. You can go to grandbaldon.com slash iTunes and, uh, and check that out. That would be phenomenal. All right. That wraps up episode 19. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for going on this journey with us, for being a part of the How'd You Get Into That podcast community. We really, really appreciate your support. Episode 20 will be coming to you in a couple days. Until then, peace out, Girl Scout. We'll talk to you real soon. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you
1: next time.